Well, you don't have to long for that. If you just hang around with him and hang around the things that he wrote to us and spend some time, some quiet time, some alone time with him, just listening for his voice. You know, I used to, when we couldn't be together physically, we'd get on the phone with each other and I'd just sit there and listen to her breathe. (laughs) Just to know that she was on the other side of the phone. Right? Now you all can all laugh at me saying that, but every one of you that's, that's, that's got a spouse or somebody you love, you've done the same thing. That's why you're laughing. Right? We've all moved past that, obviously, but in those initial moments when you're, when you're courting somebody, right? You just want to be around them if just to be next to them. You don't have to hear them say anything, just to know that Jesus is there in the room. Right? To know that you're in his presence is enough. Just, it's enough. You know, the, the disciple just wanted to lay his head on his breast. Just, he didn't have to say anything. Just to be there in the room with him was just awesome enough. And we, we need to be, have to be willing to get away from the busyness of this world. Sometimes that busyness is stuff we don't have any control over. Sometimes that busyness is stuff we do have control over. We need to be able to discern and learn when to say, okay, stop being busy. Take, stop what you're doing. Stop your, whatever it is you're doing that you think is so important that you gotta be doing it right now and just spend some time with Jesus. Cause he's waiting. But he's not gonna just drag you over in the, in the prayer room and say, alright, spend some time with me right now. He's not gonna do that. He's never done that to me. But I'll get these promptings in my mind, in my spirit, and I'll just, I'll know it's time to just put down the book or put down whatever it is I'm doing and just go spend some time with the Lord because maybe he wants to tell me something, right? Maybe he just wants to tell me he loves me. Is that so bad? Not at all. I want him to tell me he loves me. Amen. I want to hear his still, small voice, don't you? Amen. So we're going to finish this lesson up this morning. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. You know, when we were children, we we didn't have a lot of privileges in, in the house. We just had to do what we were told. We had to clean up our toys and do all this. But there come a time when we graduated from all that stuff and we, we started being, being given responsibilities and things. And that's what kind of what this is talking about. But it's under the tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. There's the father that decided, okay, he's reached that age of accountability. He or she has reached that point where we can start giving them responsibility. Remember that when you started getting chores and things and, and you couldn't just go out and play anymore. You had to, after dinner, you had to do the dishes before you could go back out or you had to do this or do that. And, and you started having some responsibility because they knew you could handle it. You didn't want to do it sometimes, but little did you know you were learning something about life, right? Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when 
the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Thank God we received the adoption of sons. Amen? And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the Spirit, His Spirit, of His Son unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more, now you're not a servant anymore. Now you're not a little kid anymore, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers or imitators of me, even as I am also of Christ. So that's what this is all about. And that's what little kids do. They imitate their father or their mother or their grandparents. Whoever they're hanging around, they will imitate things we say. you got to be careful what you say around little, little ones because they'll repeat it, you know. When my sons got to a certain age where they were riding around in the car and I knew it was a couple of years before they were going to be driving, I had to be really careful what I said. You mean you talked to other drivers? I did. <laughs> I didn't know what their names were, but I made up names for them, like Bob or you know Jane or whatever. And I had to be careful because I had two little sets of ears in the back seat that were listening that were going to be driving. And I didn't want them to have to be repeating the same stuff I said. So, you know, we got to be careful. So we, we are to be imitators. And Paul was, as we talked about, he was imitating Christ that he didn't know. So how did he know him? Well, those same people that he was persecuting, when it came time for Paul to be converted, they loved him. They treated him like one of their own. And so I I would speculate that he learned a lot from the Holy Ghost and a lot from the Spirit teaching him, but I think he observed a lot of what he then began to preach and teach from the new converts that were around him. They were loving him. They were living their lives rightly now. They were They were walking a different way, and so they were the only example that he had. Ananias, the guy went and spoke to him, Peter and, and all these different ones, he he began to learn from those that he was observing. Because these were true followers of Jesus Christ. And so what other example did he have? So he tells us to follow him as he follows Christ. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. Right? And so God even elevated him above Peter, who was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost. Wow. The Bible says rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. So Peter had to rejoice when Paul got to climb up the ladder above him, didn't he? Right? But God was in that, and Peter knew that. God was in that. God was elevating Paul. Paul wasn't elevating himself. And so we have his example to follow. And so we've talked about all these character traits and has already been brought out this morning. You know, it just seems like God is on this thread here lately. And, and when God is leading and God is causing men to speak about a subject over and over, he must be emphasizing it for a reason. You believe that? So we, we should be paying attention. 
to what God is saying. He's wanting to minister to some people today through the remainder of this lesson for the month of May. So we're going to go right into this. And and number eight, Jesus was patient or long-suffering. He maintained his composure despite criticism and ridicule. And that just even that's just kind of a cap on the bottle. That doesn't even begin to explain all that he endured for our sakes. Amen. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do the same things and does the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And despisest thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? It was because of his long suffering attitude, his patient attitude that we even had the opportunity to feel the need to, to stand at an altar and repent. You couldn't have repented of your sins without God having mercy on you first and giving you that desire to even do that. Because there's some in this room that have said before they came to God, they had this attitude, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm practicing religion. I'm good. I'm not killing people or murdering or lying or stealing or cheating. I'm a good person. But So then if that's all true, then why did we have to repent? Because there was a lot more stuff in our life we had no idea that needed to be repented of. Some attitudes and some thought processes and some things that just weren't pleasing to God. So it, as we read that scripture, it was out of his mercy that we were even able to repent. It was because he was long-suffering. That long-suffering attitude even perpetuated itself when he chose Israel, his chosen people in the Old Testament. He put up with a lot, you might say. He had he was long-suffering and patient with those people because he would deliver them and he would do all those wonderful things for them. And what would they do? They would turn on him. They would worship other gods. They would They would do all kinds of wicked things. And you would think, what in the world are they doing? I would never do that if I was them. You might, you might be, do more than you think you might do. Because they probably said the same thing. But here they found themselves worshiping other gods. And so he was patient. That word in the New Oxford American Dictionary, that word patient means able to tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. How many of us need, probably still need a lot of practice with patience, right? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, but a few hands went up. <laughs> and don't pray for patience. Whatever you do, do not pray for patience. Because the Bible, what does the Bible say about patience? Tribulation worketh patience. So if you ask God to give you patience, you're asking for trouble, literally. Send me some trouble, God, so I can learn how to be patient. So he'll work on you. If you don't ask, he will. 
Just let him let it happen naturally. Okay? Because he wants to perfect us. He wants to make us as pure as we can be because nothing that's not pure is entering in. So trust me when I tell you, he's going to work on your your personality. He's going to work on your individual situation. He's going to try to help you see some things you need to get rid of and see some things you need to bring into your life without you asking. <laughs> okay? Long-suffering, in that same dictionary, it says it, that it is having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. Isn't that where most of our troubles come from? Other people? Does that mean people in the church, too? Sometimes, you know, Jesus was crucified by, what was the Bible talk about, in the house of his friends, Right? So it's those that are closest to us sometimes that can be the biggest troubles in our life. We've got to learn to exercise. Now, we don't, we have the ability, some of us maybe better than others, the ability to be long-suffering and patient in ourself, in our human will. But what, what we're trying to emphasize in this lesson is it's not about your, how you do it. It's about how he does it. Let his personality traits operate in your life because you don't have the ability to have patience and long-suffering on your own like you do if you let the Spirit operate through you and exercise that, that, that trait of Jesus Christ through the Spirit because some stuff we can't put up with in the flesh, we can put up with and long-suffer with in the Spirit if we'll just let give it to God. That kind of goes back to that Scripture that says, casting all your care upon Him. Cast what you care about, the stuff that bothers you, the stuff that gets under your skin. That's stuff you care about. The people that get under your skin, the things that happen in your life, those are things you care about. If you're still hanging on to it, you haven't cast it on him, have you? Right? If you're still trying to fix it, then you haven't cast it. You're still holding on to that rock. So you got to let take the rock and drop it out of your hand, give it to God, let Take your burdens to the Lord. They used to sing a song before I even got in Pentecost. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. If you trust and never doubt, he'll surely bring you out. Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the altar. Literally or figuratively, leave it at the altar. The concept, the attitude, and the trait of being patient or long-suffering really originated with God. He exercised this trait, as I've already said, through with his people, Israel. And he's still exercising it through us today. By revelation and through the example of the brand new New Testament church, he, Jesus, passed it to Paul, and he and, who, and Paul admonishes us to follow or imitate him as he follows Christ. These new converts were the ones that really set the example. We are the ones that have received his spirit and all that comes with that, all the character traits that come with that. And so we are the ones that have to to live that out every day. People don't care how much you know. They don't care how much Bible you know. They don't care how many scriptures you can quote. They don't care how literate you are and how much Hebrew you know and how much Greek you know. They really don't care. But people... What was I going to say? People don't care how much you know, but they 
till they know how much you care. You can be a, almost illiterate in, in Scripture, but if you care enough for people, you know, we, we have a neighbor that's that's been suffering from cancer for 10 years, and all of a sudden the other day a bunch of his family showed up, and the one son has been talking to me quite a bit, and so we just decided Friday night we're going to get up Saturday morning, we're going to make a bunch of food and take it over there. Nobody asked us to do it. I don't, maybe the Lord prompted us, but we just felt it was the thing to do. Because we didn't know if anybody was doing that. And that's what, that's what I'm talking about. Exercising the love of Jesus Christ when you don't have to. It's just because those are his, you know, those are his creatures. That, that man that's passing, that's fixing to pass away is precious. Precious, one of my precious neighbors and he's leaving. <laughs> but who knows what what's happening through our ministry just simply taking some food over there who knows what that's doing and how that's ministering to that family who knows only god knows and so we've got to do that romans 2 verse 5 through 11 says but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of god of righteous judgment of god who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for the glory and honor of immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doth evil in the Jew first, to the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Now, why did I read that? All because of that one little statement there in verse 7 that says, by patient continuance and well-doing. And that those words in the Greek, uh, they generally mean to preserve, to remain under, bearing under, bearing up under patience, endurance as a to things or circumstances. And I really, that really kind of spoke to me, that bearing up under. Isn't that what patience and endurance and, and long-suffering is really all about? Bearing up under some burden, some thing that God has put in your life, like he put in Paul's life, that thorn in the flesh, that messenger of Satan to buffet him. Sometimes we feel like Paul. Sometimes we feel like we've got this thing in our life that we just can't shake it. We can't get rid of it. And we've asked God over and over, and he won't get rid of it. And maybe it's there for a reason. And so we sometimes he expects us to just bear up under it and trust him. It's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Because we want everything to be just rosy and wonderful, don't we? No problems, no pressure, no pain, no none of that stuff in our life. Everything's just supposed to be wonderful now that we have the Holy Ghost, right? Everybody do this. No, it's not. No, it's not. Just look at the example of the New Testament church. From the day the church was born, what did they go through? Letter starts with the letter P. Persecution. And he said we were going to be persecuted. He said. He told us. They that we're going to be persecuted. We're going to suffer some things. So we might as well just make up in our mind that we're just going to 
exercise that attitude that Jesus did, that long-suffering, he put up with a lot of stuff. Jesus did. Surely he bore up under the weight of our sins, didn't he? Matter of fact, not just our sins, but that one song says that he he bore up under the sins of the whole world. When he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know my sister, I know my brother, that he will carry you. And so he is our example. He bore up under some stuff. He carried some stuff. He, he carried some heavy weight. You know, one, one writer said that Jesus Christ actually died on Gethsemane. He didn't die on the cross. He was hung there, but he really died when he, when he prayed so hard that his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. What does that mean? That means the walls of your heart have burst. When the blood's leaving your heart and coming out your pores, there's actually medical science that says that's what happens when some, when your heart bursts. And so he, he went to that place and he, he wept bitterly, the Bible said. And he was under great pressure. And I, you know, I guess I believe that. I believe that he really, he died for us at that place of prayer, that place of where he was even trying to get out of going to the cross. And that's where, once again, that's another example that he gave us to follow. Second Peter 3, 9. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his what does that word say? Long suffering? To us word. Towards us, right? Not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any of these people that are out here right now sleeping in or sleeping out in a hangover, whatever it is they're doing, he's not willing that they should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Psalms 86 and 15, Abraham reminds God of his mercy. He says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Why was he reminding them of that? Because God was fixing to take out Israel. And his man that he called was saying, Hey, God, if you do that, they're going to talk bad about you. Say, you went, you called these people and delivered them, and then look what they did to you. And And so Abraham was reminding him, and he was reminding us of his mercy. He puts up with a lot of stuff from us. Now, you say yourself, not me. (laughs) Better think again. (laughs) Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, any of us been there? Overtaken in a fault? Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's how that, whoever that was he was talking about, that's how he was overtaken in a fault. He was tempted, and he let, uh, it was talked about this morning, don't let the devil have a, a place. Don't let him have a platform to work from. Don't, don't build him a platform next to you and say, here, come sit next to me. Don't do that. Don't give him a place to work. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Right? 
Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There you go again, bearing up. We gotta bear up. We gotta encourage and lift up and edify one another. We gotta bind together in prayer for one another. When God puts somebody on your heart, pray for them. Even if it's 30 seconds, pray. God's put them there on your heart for a reason. You might not even know who they are. Just pray for them. God tells people, he's done it for for decades and years. He tells people all the time to put a check in the mail and send it to so-and-so, to this address, or pray for this individual, and, and you don't even know who they are or what they look like. But God called you to pray for them at that moment. So we got to be sensitive to, to God and do it. Bear up under whatever it is that he's given us to do. Do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Love him. Amen. Jesus practiced and exercised self-control. Did he not? He submitted the desires of his flesh, of his will, to the will of God because he was 100% flesh and 100% God, wasn't he, when he walked on this earth? That The dictionary.com says self-control is control or restraint of oneself or one's actions, feelings, etc. And you know what they say about feelings. Feelings are fickle. you got to watch out for feelings. you got to watch out for your emotions. They'll run away with you. Our emotions will lie to us every time. And they will go contrary to what the Word of God says. God gave them to us, but we have to keep our emotions in check. Meanings from several different translations and commentaries speak of the idea of temperance, abstinence, and the idea of us being in control of our own will with regard to that concept of of exercising self-control. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up to, uh, of the Spirit unto the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up unto the holy city and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall he bear thee up, lest at any time thou thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. The devil thought he was dealing with flesh. He was, but he thought he was just dealing with a regular old human. He didn't realize that, you know, the Bible says if if the devil had known that he was crucifying the Lord of glory, he would have never done it. (laughs) So he really didn't know who this was. He just thought it was another man. But he didn't realize who he was dealing with. So Jesus had to deal with his flesh. And that's how the devil comes to us, isn't it? 
He tempts us with all kinds of stuff. If you'll do this, I'll make sure that you have this. And you know, if, if the devil's mouth is moving, he's lying. Right? And how do you know if the devil's talking to you? Well, you just kind of, in your mind, you real quick try to line that up with something in the Word that, that would confirm that's from God. And if it's not, if it doesn't line up with the Word, it's either you or the devil. Okay? And that's really, you know, Jesus absolutely had a human will. And he wrestled with his flesh just like we do today. And that's why he could say that he understands our struggle. He knows our form. He knows our frame. That's why he can say that. He understands what we're feeling, what we're going through, what we're dealing with every day. Our flesh. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed under the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our human frail flesh weaknesses. Our, he has pity, he has sympathy, he has compassion, but he was in all points tempted like as we are. Not like as we were. It says like as we are. He's talking to the Hebrews. Yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and Find grace to help in time of need. That grace that he keeps talking about throughout the New Testament. I, I like this definition of grace. It's his empowerment by the Holy Spirit to help us to do the things that we cannot accomplish in the flesh. He empowers us. We can't do it in our flesh. We couldn't save ourselves in our flesh. We needed the Holy Ghost. We needed his blood and his name applied. And when we have the Holy Ghost, when we have that Spirit empowering us, we can accomplish things that we could never accomplish out of our own flesh. I mean, just think about it. Before you came to God, you were, you were operating in the flesh all the time. And you might have been a very good person. You might have been a very uh, person of high integrity. And we have people like that in our world today that are CEOs and, and people like that that are high integrity people. And they, they don't do any, they don't drink and they don't cuss and they don't smoke and they don't hang around with people that do and all that stuff. But if they don't have the Holy Ghost, they're doing it out of their own human intellect, their own effort. But we don't have to worry about that when we have the Holy Ghost. We can just say, I can't do this, God, but through you, I can do all things. If you're asking me to do this, I'll do it. But you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to empower me. You're going to have to give me the ability to do this because I can't do it myself. Right? First Peter 5, verse 5 through 9 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all, that, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that ye may exalt, that he may exalt you in due time. Not that you may exalt yourself. Let God be the one to exalt you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And that, that verse 7 there says, in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7 explains verse 6. 
or gives you an explanation of what verse 6 means, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's how you humble yourself. You cast it on him. You cast it on him. You give it to him. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, singing whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody that's going to build him a platform and let him come visit. Don't let a bird build a nest in your head, as they say. Get that thing out of there. Don't let it, don't let it, don't let the devil sit around next to you. Just shoo him away and say, get away from me, devil. When he does that stuff, when he comes in my mind, I'm, I just laugh. I'm like, you're still a liar, devil. You're still a liar. When you gonna, when, when's it gonna get old? You're still, he's, man, I'm like, I can't believe you're still trying to come at me with this stuff. But I thank God for the Holy Ghost because before I couldn't recognize that. And I thought it was me. So I would take his idea and make it my own and run with it. That's what we did. We were subject to him, right? You know, Bob Dylan sang a song one time, you're going to have to serve somebody. You mean a guy in the world wrote a song like this? He did. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> and that's true. So if you're not serving one, <laughs> you all said it, not me. <laughs> there's only two choices. Actually, there's three. You could be serving your flesh, but really indirectly, you're serving the devil if you're serving your flesh. Because you're, you're letting him control. He's going to come and control you if you just, you don't have the Spirit of God. He's going to just kind of take over. You're going to let him. Right? They say people that are prisoners of war eventually, once they're in, in prison for a while, they start kind of, I don't know if liking it, but you know what I'm saying? They, they start, you're depending on your, your, the one that has you in prison to feed you every day, to take care of you every day. Right? So in a sense, you kind of do. You you just kind of learn to put up with it. And that's kind of how we are when we're serving the, the devil. Amen? We're talking about self-control here. We need to get some things settled within our human will. We know that our enemy is not going to relent. He will look at every opportunity to penetrate our defenses. We don't need to give him the time of day when he tries to subtly suggest things, in submitting our will to God's daily, we will have the victory and God's Holy Ghost gift of self-control in our life will rule the day. And it's a, it is a gift. I believe it, that, that the gift of, of, that self-control is a gift from God. Because before we had the Holy Ghost, we, we were exercising self-control or we thought we were. And look where, look where it got us. <laughs> we were, we were in sin. Or otherwise we wouldn't have needed to repent, right? So really to me, this is just me. Self control as far as exercising it in the kingdom of God is really all about me submitting my will to his will. Isn't that what Jesus did when he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father. Because he could have, he's trying to get out of it. He went to prayer and said, Father, if there's any way, 
This cup can pass from me, please. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that's really what self-control really is, a daily exercise of us saying, not my will, God, your will. Not my will, your will. I got to hurry up. Jesus was our example in this when he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Paul said, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit. Submit. Submission. That's in humility. That's all it is. That's all it is, really. Because if you're submitting yourself to God, you're not going to have to worry about whether you're exercising self-control. You're letting him direct and control your life, right? Philippians 2, 5 through 8, real quick. Jesus was humble. He was obedient. He was not interested in elevating himself. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to, unto death, even the death of the cross. And then Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race. See all these traits, they just kind of, they just keep coming up in the midst of all these other lessons. So it's all together. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There he, he bore it up under himself despising the shame and set it and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds that word humble in the new oxford american dictionary says having a or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. In Philippians 2 and 5, the word mind means to think, to have a mindset, to be minded. The activity represented by the word involves the will, the affections, and the conscience. It's all about your mindset. It's all about how you choose to think and how you choose to live your life. In verse 8, Paul says that Jesus humbled himself, meaning that he brought himself low he to a base and to bring oneself to a low position. He humbled himself as a servant. What did he tell his disciples? If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, what did he tell them? Be a servant. Greatest leader that you could ever want to be is going to be the one that's going to be a servant to the people that he's leading. Right? what Jesus modeled. That's what he did. That's, he went about serving people, and they all called him rabbi. They saw him as a leader. He never said, I'm a leader, I'm a rabbi. They did that. They identified him as that. He wasn't going about to build his own reputation up and, and say, look at me. He let them decide his reputation, but he did have a reputation 
for going about and doing good and ministering to people and healing people and doing all these kind of things. He was humble. What an awesome and powerful picture of humility Jesus portrayed to us. His life was one of complete sacrifice and servanthood. He had a reputation to be sure, but did not, but not to do what he did with the motive of creating a reputation for himself. He simply and humbly served mankind. As we read in Philippians 2 and 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form, the visible manifestation of a servant. That word servant in the New Testament means slave. Oh, you mean I gotta be a slave? Slaves didn't have a say. They just did what the master told them to do. Right? I am what? Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. My flesh is dead. I live unto his faith, unto his will, his way. Right? Being made in the likeness of mankind, he was once again showing us the example to follow and to imitate. One definition of humility, as I bring this to a close, says that it is not thinking less of yourself, but it is simply a matter of thinking of yourself less. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about who we are or who we think we are. Amen? Brother Wayne, if you'd come. I did forget. <laughs> Just got to throw a curveball at the devil sometimes. He expects us to follow the same routine, right? Praise God. Thank you. So to kind of go ahead and receive the Sunday school offering. So my closing thought on this whole lesson is that as his adopted sons made in his image, we are and were created and placed on this earth not to have our own will in our own way, but to reflect and to manifest the personality, the attributes, and the characteristics of the only begotten Son of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to those around us that were that are destined for a devil's hell. There's people in this world that are destined for a devil's hell right now. If the Lord was to come today, they are, they are headed straight for a devil's hell. And the only way they're going to hear about Jesus is through the people that are sitting in this room or somebody out there that loves those people enough to get outside of their self and begin to manifest all these character traits and walk around like Jesus did. Wow. I mean, he, he had nowhere to lay his head, the Bible said. When those guys said, hey, Jesus, we want to follow you, he says, really? I'm paraphrasing. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You still want to follow me? I don't have a hotel room to go to. I don't have an apartment. I don't have a house. I just sleep wherever the Lord gives me a place to sleep. My goodness, what if we had that kind of attitude? What if we lived and walked like that? We can't imagine not having a house to live in and a car to drive. We just can't imagine it. But we live in this generation, and that's just the way it is. But we've got to purpose within ourselves to, that I'm going to go out and as I walk out my door, I'm going to say, Lord, let me manifest every one of these traits to this lost world out there. You might only have one opportunity, a five-minute opportunity to talk to a waitress or somebody out there. You might have, you might not get to teach them a Bible study, but you do have the opportunity 
to share this gospel with somebody and to show them the love of Jesus. Right? Because they asked Jesus, when were you, when were you sick and when were you in prison and, and when was it that you were, weren't clothed and, and, and all those things and what did he tell them? He, he basically said when, when it was the least of your brethren, it was me. Whatsoever you've done unto them or are going to do unto them, do it as if you're doing it for me. And is there anybody in this room that would not do anything for Jesus? I'd do anything for him. Anything. Whatever you ask. I'm saying it out loud right now. He heard me. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm here. I'm that guy. Send me where you want me to go. Amen? Use me however you want to use me. we got to have that attitude today. Help us, God, to manifest all of your character traits in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name, Father, we love you and thank you for this opportunity. It's time to be together. Pray that you minister mightily in the remainder of this service, that the word of God would come forth mightily from the man of God tonight, today in Jesus' name. Amen.